really, life is a series of questions. Life is marked by questions, and our lives are determined, they are made up by our answers to those questions. Think about that. That's really the, the, the truth of life. It is a series of questions. Our lives are made up, determined by our answers to those questions. Who am I? What will I do? Where will I live? How will I live? Will I get married? Will we have kids? What are my goals? And on and on and on it goes. Life really is a series of questions. And the substance of our lives, the quality of our lives, is determined by the answers to those questions. Now, here is the deal this morning. If you arrive at poor answers, sadly, you will live a poor life. Life is made up of questions and answers. Well, today in our study here in the book of Acts, we're going to see the question of life. We're going to see the most important question that we must answer. In fact, I will tell you everything all things hinge on this question and its correct answer. In fact, I will tell you, if you get all of the other questions perfectly right, if you absolutely nail them and you miss this question, nothing else will matter. It's that big of a deal. It's that big of a question. The question is asked this morning by the Philippian jailer, and the question is this. What must I do to be saved? What must I do to be saved? Our message this morning is entitled, Good Question. We're in Acts chapter 16. We're going to finish the chapter today, verses 26 through 40. Acts chapter 16, verses 26 through 40. Good question. I'm going to ask if you would, if you'd stand with me in the honor and the reverence of the reading of God's word. Acts 16, beginning in the 26th verse, God's word says this. And suddenly there came a great earthquake, so that the foundations of the prison house were shaken. And immediately all the doors were opened and everyone's chains were unfastened. When the jailer awoke and saw the prison doors opened, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself, supposing that the prisoners had escaped. But Paul cried out with a loud voice saying, do not harm yourself, for we are all here. And he called for the lights and rushed in. And trembling with fear, he fell down before Paul and Silas. And after he brought them out, he said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? They said, Believe in the Lord Jesus, and you will be saved, you and your household. And they spoke the word of the Lord to him together with all who were in the house. And he took them away that very hour of the night and washed their wounds, and immediately he was baptized, he and all his household. And he brought them into his house and set food before them and rejoiced greatly, having believed in God with his whole household. Now when day came, the chief magistrates sent their policemen, saying, Release those men. And the jailer reported these words to Paul, saying, The chief magistrates have sent to release you. Therefore, come out now and go in peace. 
But Paul said to them, they have beaten us in public without a trial, men who are Romans and have thrown us into prison. And now they are sending us away secretly? No, indeed. But let them come themselves and bring us out. The policemen reported these words to the chief magistrates. They were afraid when they heard they were Romans. And they came and appealed to them. And when they had brought them out, they kept begging them to leave the city. They went out of the prison and entered the house of Lydia. And when they saw the brethren, they encouraged them and departed. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, we come today. We're thankful for you. We praise you. We worship you. We're thankful for a Savior today. We're thankful for the forgiveness of sin this morning. We're thankful for hope today. We're thankful for peace that endures today. Lord, we're thankful for your church that you bless us in and through. We're thankful for your word that you lead, that you teach, that you speak and convict us. Guide us with your own word. Lord, how precious. Lord, I pray now as we begin to study your word, I pray this morning that you would speak in this hour. I I pray that it would be your word, not mine, not the the words of a denomination, not the words of of a church, not the words of a man, but the word of God that appeals to our heart, that leads us, that directs us. Lord, I pray if there's some in this room this morning that do not know you, I pray in the hearing of the gospel of Jesus Christ that today they might be saved for your glory. Lord, we come and we just tell you we're thankful today. We praise you today. We worship you today. We exalt you. We pray all this in the powerful name of Christ, in Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. In our account this morning, there are some things to notice. There are some things to take note of. Now, we're going to see the great question in length. We're going to see the answer to that great question But I want you to be watching for some important things to note as we pass through our verses as well. Now, let's go to the context. Remember Paul and Silas, Timothy and Luke as well. God has led them to Philippi. Remember on Paul's second missionary journey, the Spirit of God himself leads Paul, calls Paul, to Macedonia. Well, they are in the Macedonian region in the city of Philippi. Remember the account, once they are there, they have caused quite a stir by healing a demon-possessed slave woman who was making a great sum of money, a great profit for her owners. He, he, uh, they were making a profit off of her and, and they uh, healed her, messing up their source of income. Well, because of that, Paul and Silas, we see they've been accused falsely. They have been beaten savagely with a rod. They have been thrown in jail. Once in jail, their legs have been spread out and locked in stocks. The prison doors have been chained shut. We see they are in pain. They are suffering. They're not sure what the next day might bring. And then we have verse 25. But about midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns of praise to God, and the prisoners were listening to them. About midnight, in that terrible circumstance, the Bible says they are praising God. They are praying, they are singing hymns to God, and the other prisoners 
They are hearing them. And then that brings us to our verse today, starting in verse 26. And suddenly there came a great earthquake, so that the foundations of the prison house were shaken. And immediately, listen to the words, and immediately all the doors were opened and everyone's chains were unfastened. In verse 26, it is in the middle of the night. Paul and Silas are praying and singing there in the prison house. And the Bible says, and suddenly. Now the original language, the Greek word there for suddenly means instantaneously, means Instantly, in an instant, means all of the sudden. And so understand, there is an earthquake and suddenly, all of the sudden, the jail's foundations are shaken. The doors are opened and the prisoner's chains all fell off. And let me be very clear here. Make no mistake here, this is a miraculous act of God. We need to understand that. This is not a coincidence. This wasn't, well, they were hoping for the best and somehow an earthquake happened. No, understand this is an act of God. God does this. God acts. They are chained up. They are suffering. It is a hopeless situation, and it is then that God acts. Here's what we should know here. Here's what we should be sure of. Here's what we need to be, listen, reminded of this morning. What we are doing in the church is a supernatural thing. We need to be reminded of that. We need to remember that. What we're doing in the church is a supernatural thing. Be sure today, we are a supernatural people, saved supernaturally, by a supernatural God, and what we're doing in the church is a supernatural thing. Don't not lose sight of that. It is not normal. Paul and Silas are praying. They're singing. They're praising God. Timothy and Luke, they weren't snatched up, and I promise you wherever they were, they were praying as well. Lydia and the other believers, the new believers, I bet they are praying as well. And we find that God works supernaturally. Friends, we need to be seeking God today. We need to be seeking God today. We need to be praying and we need to be singing and we need to be praying and we need to be seeking. We need to seek God's supernatural movement in his church. Our prayer needs to be, God, do something in our church. God, move in our midst. I want you to be sure that's not Pentecostal. That's not charismatic. That is biblical. Take note. This is a supernatural thing. This meeting of the church, it is a supernatural thing. This preaching of the word of God, it is a supernatural thing. Our witness to a lost and dying world, it is a supernatural thing. God, act, work in our midst. All right, verse 27. When the jailer awoke and saw the prison doors opened, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself supposing that the prisoners had escaped. As the head jailer, he was responsible for these prisoners. Now, he would have been shamed 
he would have been fired. He would have been relieved of his duty. He could have been beaten and he even could have been executed if they were to escape. Now, by his response, whatever the aftermath was, he didn't want the aftermath. I don't know if he'd have been killed. It was a potential thing. I don't know if just the embarrassment of failing at his job was enough, but whatever the aftermath of the episode was, he didn't want it. And so waking up, seeing the doors standing open, that's the Greek language, seeing the doors already standing open, and sure that the prisoners had escaped, he draws his sword to kill himself. But Paul cried out with a loud voice saying, do not harm yourself for we are all here. Verse 29. And he called for lights and rushed in and trembling with fear, he fell down before Paul and Silas. They are still there. Another thing to take note of as we pass through our verses. For the second time in this account, we see Paul's actions were shaped by his beliefs. Now, I want you to see that. For the second time in just this account, we see Paul's response, Paul's actions are shaped by his belief. Now, first, it was by his midnight singing. And now, second, it is by his response here in integrity. We see what Paul believes interprets his circumstances. Instead of his circumstances interpreting what he believes. Now, I want you to hear that again. In these episodes, in these events, we see that what Paul believes interprets his circumstances instead of the things of his circumstances interpreting what he believes. Very simply, here's what that means. He knows what he believes. He knows the Savior that he has trusted. And so as a Christian, as a believer, his actions and his attitudes match accordingly. Take note of this this morning. What we believe should shape the course of our lives. That's what we see here. As believers, as followers of Christ, what we believe, the truth that we embrace, should shape our lives. Listen, as believers, we're not rattled. As believers, we're not fearful. As believers, we're not scrambling around looking for an answer somewhere. As believers, we're not forced to go out and take matters into our own hands. Paul says in 2 Timothy 1.12, for I know whom I have believed, and I am convinced that he is able to guard what I have entrusted to him until that day. Take note, what we believe as followers of Jesus Christ should impact our attitudes. It should impact our responses. It should impact how we operate in a lost world. What we believe as Christians should impact our lives. Take note, what we believe shapes how we respond. The doors are opened, the chains are released, and Paul's still there. Paul's still there. And he called for the lights and rushed in, verse 29, and trembling with fear, he fell down before Paul and Silas, verse 30. And after he brought them out, he said, sirs, what must I do 
to be saved. He leads them out and he says, sirs, what must I do to be saved? Here it is. The great question. Sirs, what must I do to be saved? Now, I want you to think about the question. I want you to think about the context in which it is asked this morning. Sirs, what must I do to be saved? Now, maybe he was struck by the earthquake. Maybe he heard the slave girl declare, these are bond servants of the Most High God who are proclaiming the way of salvation. Maybe he had heard that. Maybe he remembered that. Maybe he heard their praying and their singing at midnight. Maybe it was their response of integrity with the walls opened up, they are still there. Maybe it was all of those things, but standing there in that context, he asked, what must I do to be saved? Now, I want you to notice what mattered to him. Notice in that circumstance, in that event, what mattered to him. He doesn't say, what must I do to escape this job? Oh, I'm so tired of this job. I'm so tired of the pressures of this job. Listen to me, sirs. What must I do to escape this job? He doesn't say, what must I do to have success in life? I'm tired of this and I'm getting on in years. What must I do? Tell me, sirs, to have success in life. He doesn't say, what must I do that I would have comfort in life, wealth and riches, never be sick. Tell me the secret. What must I do to have comfort in this world? No, he doesn't ask any of those things. The matter of his heart is... What must I do to be saved? Have you asked that question? Do you know you need salvation? See, our world covers that up. Satan covers that up. Our culture wants to make us numb to that. Do you know that you need salvation, not something else, not anything else? Have you said, what must I do to be saved? Hear me, get this this morning. The need of mankind, and boy, we're messing this up. The need of mankind is not a better world. The need of mankind is not a better environment. The need of mankind is not a better situation. It's not a better anything. The need of sinful mankind, of those lost in their sin, those that are doomed in their sin, literally perishing in their sin, the need of mankind is salvation. And so the jailer here in the middle of the night, he doesn't wait for the sun to come up. He doesn't say, let's go back to bed and talk about it in the morning. Hey, I've got some things I'd like to visit with you about. No, he is urgent. And in the middle of the night, standing in the courtyard of the jail, he says, tell me, what must I do to be saved? That's the great question. Now, the great answer, verse 31. They said, believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved. They said, believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved, you and your household. Believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved. The Greek word for believe there means be persuaded, have faith in, 
trust or have confidence in? What must you do to be saved? Believe, be persuaded, have faith in, trust, have confidence in the Lord Jesus. Believe in the Lord Jesus. How are we saved? Listen very carefully. We are saved by faith in Jesus Christ alone. That is the testimony of scripture. That is the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ. We are saved by faith in Jesus alone, not in anything else, not in good works, not in religious practice, not in paying penance, not in baptism. No, by faith in Jesus alone, by belief and trust in the good news of the gospel alone, by believing in Jesus, we are saved. What's it mean to believe in Jesus? Sometimes we give that out and we say it pretty flippantly. Maybe we say it in a Sunday school understanding. Well, believe in Jesus. What does it mean to believe in Jesus? Well, it means to believe in the correct understanding, the truth of Jesus. It means to believe in the good news, the gospel of Jesus. Now, it means you have to believe who he is. He is the son of God, that he is the savior from God, that he is the Messiah, that he is the Christ. And it is to believe not only in who he is, but also in what he has done, that he has come as a man. He's humbled himself that he's carried our sin, even becoming our sin, that he's died for sin, shedding his own blood, that he's paid for sin in his own death, that he's risen from the dead. And it's to believe the truth of that, that in that we can become by faith the righteousness of Jesus, that in graciousness he offers that to you. Let me ask the question, so have you believed in Jesus Oh, I don't know, I was in fourth grade. I don't know, we did something. I don't know, I was raised in the church. I don't know, these words run through my head. Listen to me, friend. Have you trusted in Jesus? He is our hope. He is the way to be saved. He is the remedy for sinners. He is the redeeming lamb of God. Have you believed in Jesus? No other answer will matter. Saddest thing I can imagine is to live these years, to live these days, and have heard of Jesus, talked about Jesus, in pain and trouble cried out to Jesus, but to have never known and trusted Jesus. Have you believed in Jesus? Do you understand your greatest need is salvation? Do you understand in your sin you can do nothing about it? No good work can you do. You can't impress God enough. Do you understand he sent his only begotten son and he became a man that he could pay for men? Do you understand he didn't sin that he would be the perfect lamb of God? Do you understand he died on the cross of Calvary becoming the object of wrath of God's God's hatred for sin? Do you believe he died paying the penalty? His blood is shed. Do you believe he's put in a grave and he comes out and he's alive and he's victorious? Do you believe in Jesus? No other answer will matter today. I want you to take note of something. It is a narrow way, belief in Jesus. There's no other way. Well, that seems hateful. That seems intolerant. That seems to discredit others' beliefs. Listen, it's a narrow way. Yes, there's no other name by which we must be saved. That's what the Bible says. 
It is belief in Jesus alone. It is a narrow way. But I want you to notice this, however. It is a broad call. It is a broad call. Yes, it is a narrow way. It's only in Jesus, but it is a broad call. Notice in the verse, he says, you and all of your household, believe in Jesus. Listen, anybody that'll listen, you and your entire household, believe in Jesus. Their household would have been their close family. It would have been the extended family living under their roof or in close proximity. It would have been the slaves under their command. He says, you and all of your household believe in Jesus. Paul says there's only one way through Jesus, but praise the Lord, he says that way is open to all. That's what he says, you and your household. Anyone hearing, Believe in Jesus and you shall be saved. What if I don't like that group? What if I don't think that group deserves it? You don't either. What if I don't, what if I don't have a plan for them? Maybe this is not my family said. Anyone believing shall be saved. It is a narrow way, yes, but it is a broad call. Praise the Lord. And how do we know that? Verse 32, let's look. And they spoke the word of the Lord. They just explained what I just explained, the truth of the gospel, to him together with all who were in his house. Well, well that, not that guy. Well, they're too far gone. Well, they're not one of the ones. They spoke the word with him together with all who were in his house. They explained it to all. Verse 33. And he took them that very hour of the night and washed their wounds. And immediately he was baptized, he and all his household. Verse 34. And he brought them into his house and set food before them and rejoiced greatly, having believed in God with his whole household. I want to read those two verses again, verses 33 and 34. And he took them at that very hour of the night and washed their wounds. And immediately he was baptized, he and all his household. And he brought them into his house and set food before them and rejoiced greatly, having believed in God with his whole household. I want you to take note of something in these two verses. Notice something here. He got saved. His whole household did as well. He got saved. But I, I want you to not miss something. I want you to take note of something right here. He got saved and three things happened. Now we, we might focus on he got saved, praise the Lord he did. But I want you to take note of the fact that he got saved and when he did, three things happened. Now the first thing we see, he got saved and the first thing that happens is he was changed. He was changed. I want you to remember something. Remember, this is the man that in verse 24, the Bible says, threw them in prison. Now, I went and looked that up. It doesn't mean that he walked them into the prison. It doesn't mean that he says, guys, your cell is down here in door three. Let me get you a pillow. It means that he aggressively, roughly threw them into the cell. 
Verse 23 says they're beaten with the rod. They're beaten across their back. They're, they're beat down. And in verse 24, this man snatches up those men re- just reeling from their beating and he throws them into prison. He's the man that stretches out their legs and locks them in stocks to cause them to suffer. That's verse 23. In verse 33, 10 short verses later, it says that that man, he took them that very hour. Here's what the Bible says. And he washed their wounds. In a little bit, he's gonna fix supper for those same guys. He was changed. Well, he didn't go to Sunday school. He didn't didn't attend for two years. He put his faith in Jesus Christ and his heart was made new. He was changed. So that's the first thing. He got saved, he was changed. Second thing to note is this. He was testifying. He was testifying. It says, and he was baptized. Now, Baptism is what marked him, in fact, his whole family with him as followers of Jesus Christ. There's no denying in the act of baptism, this is a follower of Jesus Christ. And so he says he believes, he believes, he is saved, and so he testifies in the act of baptism. He is not ashamed of Jesus, he's not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus, and he is baptized. Buried with Christ in darkness, raised to walk in a new way of life. Wasn't he? Wasn't he? The sweetest thing, the strangest thing of this entire account happens here, I believe. In the middle of the night, they go to the bathhouse. It was either at the jail or it was a public bathhouse. It was a pool for washing. And there he is washing their wounds. And most likely, almost positively by this other use of the word immediately, it is the same place where he is baptized. He is washing their wounds. He is washing the dried blood that is caked from seven, eight hours earlier. They're beating with rods. And as he does, his hand and his cloth goes over the raised whelps on his back, the, the bruises that are, that are raising up, that are marking there. And he sees and he touches the cost of the gospel spread to him. And in that water as he washes their wounds. And see, here is water still. What would hinder me from being baptized? I read that and I think, good job, Paul. Good job, Silas. Good job, Paul. And in their bruises with their back beaten in the very same water. Oh, I want to testify to Jesus. Good job, Paul. Oh, the cost of the spread of the gospel. They paid for it in their wounds. Good job, Paul. Good job, Silas. Notice he has changed. Notice he is testifying. He's unashamed. And notice the third thing here. He 
is joyful. Verse 34 says, he rejoiced greatly. Go look it up in the original language. It means abundantly. It means to a great, to a large extent. He rejoiced greatly having believed in God. He is filled with joy. This man that ran the jail, this man that locked people in chains for a living, he is saved and there in the middle of the night, he is rejoicing. Take note, he is changed, he is testifying, he is joyful, overflowing with joy. Take note this morning, are we, are you, am I? As we pull all this together this morning, I want us to be very sure we have the great answer for the great question. Today, it is clear we have our Savior Jesus, and by believing in him, we are saved. No work that we might do, nothing we can add. By believing in him, we are saved. We and anyone else that would hear, those that would believe, they will be saved. We have our Savior, and by believing, we are saved. Here's the question. Have you believed? The rest of the verses, we're not going to get there today. They are released. Those two guys come, the two high magistrates, they come. They release them. They ask them to leave town. They stop by the church at Lydia's house. They encourage the church there, and they leave Philippi. They leave Philippi. When they leave, there is a saved jailer, joy-filled and testifying to Jesus. And there is the call that still speaks today. Believe in Jesus. Believe in Jesus. Let's pray. Dear me, Father, we come. And I'm thankful for your truth. I'm thankful for your word. I'm thankful that you tell us the question. You also tell us the answer. And I pray for folks here that are looking and they're thinking they're going to find it in a better relationship, a better retirement, a better job, a better circumstance, that they're going to find hope somehow, they're going to find peace. I pray that in the preaching of this message that they understand there's peace alone in, G in Jesus our Savior. Lord, I pray that you've spoken to their heart. I pray as they're clamoring, as they're hurting, as they've run to the ways of the world and it's hurting, they would find peace in you. Lord, I, I pray for some here that do not know you. I pray that today in the testimony of Connie's baptism and the praises and the songs, the prayers that have gone up and the preaching of your word, that the cry of their heart would be, what must I do to be saved? And I pray in the preaching of the gospel, they've heard the answer, believe in Jesus. Lord, work, move, remove hindrances. I pray that today would be the day of their salvation. Lord, I pray for us here that are followers of Christ, those that are saved, I pray that we would see this account. We would go back and be filled with joy, restore to us the joy of our salvation. We'd be testifying that we'd be unashamed of the gospel, ready to talk, ready to tell. That we would be changed, repentant, turning, leaving, a sin-stained and sorry world. 
Lord, I, I come and I just lay this out before you. I ask that you would work, that you would move, that you would speak. I know you do. I pray the result today would honor you, would bless you, would, would hold up and exalt your name. We love you, we praise you, and we thank you. And I pray in Jesus' name, amen.